Hey, Bankless Nation, it is the fifth and final week of June. We have begun July and it is time for roll-ups, weekly roll-ups. David, you ready for this? Absolutely. I drank my coffee. I've got the energy. I'm ready to roll up the week in crypto with you, Ryan. Dude, it's almost like the the 4th of July. Are you celebrating this weekend? Uh, yeah. yeah. Tomorrow I'm going on a boat. Uh, and then uh, on Friday, I'm watching fireworks as one does. Nice, or excuse man. me, on Sunday. Yeah, yeah as am I. And I, I was kind of curious, this like, what stage do you think we'll be in where uh, blockchains have their own holidays? Do you think that'll happen? Like there, <laughs> there will be a day, like maybe in the future, was it December 1st, ETH2 ETH staking first went right. live? Will the Ethereum community celebrate that as a as a holiday? Right. Every December. Yeah. Well, I can tell you the United States of America would will not be celebrating that because that's a nation state <laughs> holiday, not a blockchain holiday. True. So really it would only kind of be for like the Ethereum native to like have kind of their own day. But then it's Crypto not a holiday, holidays? right? It's like it's like, hey, I'm it's it's the tenth uh, anniversary of EIP one five five nine, like not coming into work. <laughs> like, no, like that's not gonna happen. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we'll celebrate on Bankless. Anyway, sorry for the digress, guys. This is the quickest way to get crypto downloaded into your brain. Every week we cover market releases, news, takes, and then what we're excited about. This comes out every Friday with your morning coffee live. Not live, but it comes on YouTube and also on the podcast. Feels live. You want to get it. Feels pretty live. Um, David, we should talk about Kyber first mm -hmm. because we've been promising this for a while, but they just rolled out a really cool liquidity program. What's going on with Kyber? Yeah, Kyber is doing a liquidity mining program both on the L1, but also on the Polygon L2. This is part of the DeFi Summer Thesis L Layer 2 edition, uh, is that there's going to be a bunch of liquidity mining rewards existing on the Layer 2. So if you're looking on the screen, you can see all of the different ways that you can get some extra yield on your yield. Yo, dog, I heard you liked yield. Uh, so if you are supplying <laughs> stable coins, yield. get yield on your yield. If you're, if you're supplying stable coins, take a look at uh, Kyber's new Rainmaker liquidity mining program. There's a link in the show notes below where you can find out how to get some extra KNC and some extra Matic tokens if you are bullish on those particular two assets. Guys, 25 million in rewards over the next three months. Not a small amount. So check that out. Make sure you check that out. All right, David, you ready to get to markets? Let's do it, Ryan. Let's talk Bitcoin first. What's going on with Bitcoin price Bit since last week? Bitcoin started the week at $34,000, dropped all the way down to $30,000, jumped up to $36,500, and is currently at the level of $33,300. That's what happened with Bitcoin last week. Is this crab season? It's just a little back and forth, yeah, it feels sideways. Like, feels like sideways. crab season, yeah. We go up a little bit, people get bullish, we go down a little bit, people get bearish. At the end of the week, we're at the same level we started with crab season. Crab, crab season, crab summer. Okay, what about ETH? Same story. Dude, this, these charts look similar. Yeah. <laughs> no, Actually, that's because it's the same chart. Never oh, mind. Yeah, yeah, I have Bitcoin yeah. price twice. <laughs> the story is going to be pretty much the same. Ether started the week at $2,000, fell down to the low, low price of $1,700, spooked some people, uh, and then it jumped to $2,300, got people excited again. Now it's at $2,100, and then once again, started how or ended the week how we started it roughly at the same price crab season yo let's see if we're seeing any story in the eth bitcoin ratio what's this ratio showing uh are we up or down on the week uh we are up on the week we tapped the a, a new local low of 0 0.055 but ether seems to really be allergic to anything below that and so we jumped from 0 0.055 to 0 0.0 almost 0 0.066 uh so almost up 10 percent versus bitcoin on the week uh i tweeted out uh there was there was a day where ether really uh jumped up versus bitcoin i think it was like two days ago and i tweeted out uh eth btc up eight percent uh, if 
resume flipping talk. And clearly that tweet had product <laughs> market fit because it got over like eight, 700 likes in like a day and a half. Have you seen some flipping talk yet though? It, I haven't seen as much. As I told saw, people to like, resume I it, it. So I guess we'll see. <laughs> okay. So now after the roll up guys, you can resume flipping talk. You know what? I want to take some credit for this tweet, David, because mm. I said this in December, 2020, uh, this may be hard for some of you to hear, but ETH will outperform Bitcoin again in 2021. Quote me. I said, I threw that out there, David. Mm. And you know what? At the time, it was really a uh, Bitcoin maximalism season yep. very much. Like Bitcoin was just like wrecking everything else. Uh, and uh, here we are, six months in. Bitcoin right. is up 16% year to date. ETH is up 188%. Mm -hmm. uh, this, was, feeling, this was right after feeling DeFi good about season. This prediction. This was right after yeah. DeFi season, right after everyone was bearish on Ether because all the DeFi tokens mooned and Ether just lagged behind. And then you tweeted this and then it was like, oh yeah, Ether took the reins for the next like six months. Uh, but Ryan, yeah. question to you. Do you think, yes. is it going to happen again? What about the, for the next six months? Like you mean the next six months? The next will six ETH, months, yeah. uh, Outperform? I want to say yes, but I'm not pulling, pu putting my full weight into that prediction, David. Where I'm putting my full weight is I think by end of the year, if you look year to date, ETH will still have outperformed Bitcoin. I feel really comfortable with that prediction. I'm not sure what the next six months will bring. Mm -hmm. I still feel like it's probably true. Although look at this, man. ETH is already up 188%, whereas Bitcoin is up 16%. It's like, mm -hmm. it just has to kind of hold that. Uh, and uh, the prediction comes true. So I'm being sort of conservative. I, I think it'll happen, but I'm not too sure. We'll see what that ratio does. Granted, Bitcoiners said very similar things about Bitcoin versus Ether throughout 2019 and 2020 because Bitcoin really outperformed Ether. And yes. really, it was just kind of signals like, well, maybe I should rotate then because if you sold uh, Bitcoin for Ether while Bitcoiners were talking about how Bitcoin has outperformed, that was the right move. Or just don't worry about it and hold, hold, sure. hold both, sure. you know? That's a, that's a secret. Okay, let's talk about DeFi Pulse. What's going on with total locked value in DeFi? We're at 52 billion down from the highs. Still haven't hit Crap that, season. like that 100 billion mark seems kind of far away at this point, but uh, what's happening here? We're just crabbing? We're just crabbing. Uh, stay, keeping the head above $50 billion locked in at DeFi. Aave staying around 15% dominance. Not really too much churn going on right now, I would say. All right. How about DPI? These, this is our index of DeFi tokens. Uh, looks like that's kind of also flat on the week-ish. <laughs> Shocker. Crab season. <laughs> How many times are we going to say it in the market section? <laughs> not, not another time. <laughs> well, let's talk about the uh, DPI index mm -hmm. to Ether. So this, uh, this is a different seasonal benchmark. Oh, man. We're below 13%, David. We are below 0.13. Yet, I am still feeling good about the DPI bottom. <laughs> it's still proximate to 0.13. I didn't get the specific proximate. number, but I'm sure. feeling good in about the it, it being the bottom. Uh, and uh, I remember when uh, we had Ledger on the State of the Nation, fantastic episode, you should go watch it. He talked about how like the, the 0.13 level could be like a good entrance and it might like dip below it and then, and then kind of zoom back up for hopefully a DPI bull market, maybe, but like, I'm still feeling good about the bottom. Like maybe the 0.13 wasn't the perfect call, but like if it's, if this is actually the bottom, the 0.13 call will be great entrance if of course it doesn't go any lower. But I guess I'm just kind of like biting my own tail here. Guys, we know that's important to David. So buy some DeFi tokens and support yeah. David's cause. He, Please. he doesn't want to miss that one. Please, I'm, I'm buying DPI <laughs> right now for sure. 
<laughs> What's this? This is L2 Beat. I know you guys looked at this last week, but um, this this feels like the DeFi pulse of Layer 2. It's, mm -hmm. it's like total locked value in Ethereum's Layer 2 uh, platforms. What is this showing us? Right. So just like DeFi Pulse, it shows you all of the value that is deposited into all these various Layer 2s. There is $322 million in L2s. Last week, it was $340-something million. Uh, so down on the week. But this is something that we are going to track moving forward. Uh, this is very reminiscent to very early DeFi Pulse pages where, you know, when we were... were Initially looking at the value locked in DeFi, we were looking at the tens and maybe even the hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, whereas now we're looking at the billions of dollars. And so I'm pretty sure this uh, story is going to be one to follow, which is why we're going to come back to L2 Beat uh, frequently just to track the growth of Layer 2 on Ethereum. It's kind of cool that it's pure Layer 2s. It, it doesn't include um, uh, Polygon, right. for example. If it's it did, it would just purist. like drown out literally everything oh else Oh my God, Polygon's got many billions now. Billions, billions, so, and billions, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, is why, which is why we know that there's this is coming, right? Like uh, Optimism and Arbitrum going to open up in July. That's really where this game is going to start going. All right, guys, we are going to be back with the hot releases for the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. The Aave protocol is a decentralized liquidity protocol on Ethereum, which allows users to supply and borrow certain crypto assets. Aave version 2 has a ton of cool features that makes using the Aave protocol even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi money Legos, yield, and composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can supply to the protocol in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have supplied collateral. One of my favorite Aave features is the ability to select a stable interest rate. Once I've selected a stable interest rate, I'm protected against any interest rate volatility that may happen in DeFi and allows me to plan my DeFi finances for the long term. V2 also features the ability for users to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. With Aave, users can do this in one seamless transaction, saving you time and gas costs. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. Balancer is a powerful platform for flexible automated market makers. Typical AMMs just have two tokens inside of one liquidity pool, which can lead to fractured liquidity across the many pairs in DeFi. With Balancer, you can access the full power of multiple tokens inside of one single AMM, which unlocks an entirely new playing field of possibility. This makes Balancer an awesome building block for so many different use cases. Balancer pools can make asset indices, but instead of paying fees to portfolio managers, Balancer lets you collect the fees from traders who use your portfolio for liquidity. Additionally, Balancer smart pools can be programmed to have properties that change according to predetermined rules, such as changing the swap fees based on market conditions, or even, or even liquidity bootstrapping pools, which can help you launch and distribute your token with day one liquidity. At Bankless, we use a liquidity bootstrapping pool to sell our BAP t-shirts to much success. V2 brings powerful new features that makes your money work even harder for you. In V2, idle tokens are capable of generating yield in DeFi without sacrificing liquidity in the pool using asset managers. Balancer's vault architecture lets you trade between balancer pools at a fraction of the cost versus other platforms. And you can even take advantage of dynamic fees, which automatically adapt to changing market conditions. Balancer's mission is to become the primary source of liquidity in DeFi by providing the most flexible and powerful platform for asset management and decentralized exchange. Dive into the balancer pools at app.balancer.fi. 
All right, guys, we are back with releases. David, we got to start here. Compound is doing some cool things. They launched the Compound Treasury, which it seems like provides institutions the ability to earn 4% APR. That's like 30x what you receive in a traditional savings account. So not insignificant. I think the difference is they're offering this to like a different audience. It's not the DeFi natives and crypto natives, it's institutions. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, these feel like the base hair follicles of the DeFi mullet. This is where the DeFi <laughs> mullet grows out of. Here's a, there's a super weird uh, metaphor for you. Uh, no, it, but yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, this feels like a compound just advertising, hey, just use us for your yield figure out yeah. how to attract capital. That's your guys' problem, but come to us for yield and we'll, we'll solve that yield problem for you. Uh, so Compound, opening up surface area for the DeFi mullet. More hair follicles. Do you want to see some DeFi, DeFi mullet, yeah. David? Sure. Check this out, man. Yeah. Current. Uh, already, do you know what current working. is? Uh, Look now, at this. Now I do, yeah. They, they say they're not a bank, but they kind of are a bank, right? Sure. They've got like, bank but, connectivity. But, but look at this. Improvement upon a bank. Sure. But yeah. But look at this. We're mm -hmm. excited to work with Compound Treasury to be able to offer our members access to the protocol's interest rate through simple, unified experience. DeFi mullet. DeFi Fintech mullet. Mm -hmm. on the front, mm -hmm. Compound on the back. It's a, really cool to see. It's a happening. single solid hair growing out of current, out of Compound's hair follicles. All right. How long should I take this metaphor for? <laughs> keep going all episode. I'm really digging this. I'm really digging this. Okay. Um, 10,000 word article coming in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the dissection of the mullet. All right, <laughs> Polygon launches Avail. Avail, what is Avail, David? Yeah, Avail is a data availability layer on Polygon. So for those that are familiar with uh, a, the con uh, the project of Lazy Ledger, uh, this is a similar uh, data availability structure for the Polygon layer two. Uh, so if you're into the world of cryptography and, and blockchain and consensus, you kind of know what I'm talking about. If you're not, then you're probably really confused, which is actually kind of closer to where I am. But basically there's this data availability problem uh, and there's a number of different ways to solve it. And Avail is trying to solve it for the Polygon ecosystem. Rollups have this limitation too, right? Storing mm -hmm. data on chain is one of their limitations. So this is really an effort to like further scale L2s and rollups mm -hmm. by offering a data availability layer on top of Ethereum. I haven't dug into the details. I'm sure this means even more to some of our listeners, but this is another scalability tech uh, being based on Ethereum that's going to really propel the rollup roadmap, uh, which is super cool, super exciting. And this is All one right, of the bull um, cases for Polygon is that any chain that Nick can and needs to be built will be built. Uh, and so that's kind of why yeah, Matic token is so highly valued, at least in my opinion. It's kind of cool too. It's I think it's bullish for, for Polygon too. It's like they're not stopping with just chain, right? Mm -hmm. And I know they've said they're they're coming out with rollup rollups and um, zk rollup like tech and that sort of thing. But um, also a whole data availability solution. I was not expecting that. It's kind of mm -hmm. cool. All right, um, Cream Finance announcing integration with Polygon too. So what what is Cream? They're deploying mm -hmm. on Polygon, another protocol, part of the theme here. But like, um, what are they? Cream is a money market, just like Compound and Aave. I put them on, there's a different risk spectrum that every single money market really likes to take on. Compound is kind of known as the conservative uh, risk off money market. That's why they have such few assets on there. And that's, that's why, why they, they can do the DeFi mullet. That's why they can do the DeFi mullet. Yep, and protocol synthesis. Uh, Ave is kind of more in the more in the liberal camp of of risk, but still not still pretty good, right in the middle ground. Cream is like, yeah, let's let's open up e the, the, uh, open markets. up the floodgates of all the assets. Let's list all the assets. Uh, a little bit more risky, but you know, so to some degree, you can only get liquidity on many different assets using Cream. And now Cream is on Polygon. There you go. Very cool. All right. Let's talk about Perpetual Protocol. Mm -hmm. So they have launched a um, 
cross-margin trading limit order multi-collateral protocol. This is basically um, on Arbitrum that mm-hmm. they're launching as well. It's called Curie. What's special about this, uh, about this data? Uh, there's just a number of different use cases for financial activity that really can only work on layer two and perpetual swaps um, is definitely one of them. Just high high frequency trading or just people that want to be really active with their trades um, and anyone who's day trading, really it, it works a lot better on layer two. So perpetual protocol, I'm actually doing a meet the nation with them. I'm recording with them today. Uh, so that will probably be out sometime early next week if you guys want a deeper dive into perpetual protocol. Um, but overall, it's just a tr- suite of trading activities uh, and now it can be done on layer two. Speaking of Meet the Nations, actually, I think State of the Nation, we had Element Protocol on mm-hmm. not too long ago. Their, their founder is on Will. And uh, now it looks like they have finally deployed to Mainnet, mm-hmm. which is super exciting. What is Element Protocol, David? What's the TLDR? Yeah, Element Finance takes one asset uh, and splits it into two. And so you have the principal asset and the yield asset. And it allows people to kind of break apart the different properties of a single asset and allows people to Uh, express their opinions about what they want in uh, more granular ways. Do you want really the yield side of an asset or do you want the principal side of an asset? Uh, And it allows you to express your financial opinions about the future in in different ways. Go check out the State of the Nation for for more details. Uh, One of the really exciting things about Element is the the team. Uh, A bunch of Ethereum OGs, both on the team itself as well as the advisors, um, uh, just core Ethereum consensus, like Ethereum 1 builders, along with uh, just Ethereum L2 um, uh, advisors as well. Eric Connor is on the advisor. Danny Ryan's an advisor. Um, So just an all-star team with an all-star product. Very cool. All right. Um, We also have more yield happening, this time on Coinbase. So this is super interesting to me. Coinbase is now going to start offering 4% APY on USDC coin inside of Coinbase. So previously, I think they have sort of a a savings light type product. Mm -hmm. But if you have USDC on Coinbase, it offers like something like 0.15%. I thought it was was like 1.5% when the last I checked. It was at one time, but then it dropped all the way back down. Um, So it's not really, it's it's more like a a bank savings rate, a little bit higher, but not much. This is something different. This is where Coinbase is actually lending out your USDC, similar to how a BlockFi might lend it out and is providing that that higher APY, that 4% rate. So kind of interesting. It's unclear where they're getting the interest. It's kind of like like BlockFi. It's sort of like a black box, David. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit coincidental f- that you get 4% on Coinbase and this. Compound gets, gives you 4% with their feature. Hmm. I was going to say this same week, kind of interesting. I mean, they could get 4% from Compound, right? That would be protocol sync thesis. Uh, absolutely. Um, but uh, anyway, interesting that they are offering this, certainly competing with with uh, the block fives of the world, maybe mm-hmm. doing some protocol sync, getting into compound. We're not okay. sure. But we're actually going to have Robert Leshner mm-hmm. on State of the Nation on Monday. So uh, he's been very involved. He's a founder of the compound protocol to talk about compound very treasury. Involved. <laughs> he's, he is very involved. He, he, without statement. Robert, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> very involved. Very active um, contributor. <laughs> yeah, I may have downplayed that a little bit. He's, he does some work for compound. Uh, kind of a big deal there. Uh, anyway, he's going to tell us, hopefully, maybe about maybe we'll have comments on this Coinbase 4% APY. Um, because I know Coinbase and Compound have been close in the past too. So there you go. Sort of interesting what's going on here. David, we got we to gotta end releases with this. We have a couple of raises to talk about, but 
uh, a new crypto comedy show has what? been released. By yeah. Who? Dude, I watched it. It was fantastic. Yeah. I love not having to like do the work to produce it, by the way. And, but like, and, and I could just it. sit, I could just enjoy it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what? what is this? What'd you guys put out there? Yeah, this is Top Signal, the newest show out of the Bankless ecosystem with Bankless's newest anchor, newest co-host, uh, Michael Wong. Uh, one of my, actually the person that hired me for my first crypto job ever. Uh, and so we go way back. It was a an ICO advisory company back in 2018. And that actually kind of led into our first like gag that we did where we presented the three guests. It was DeFi Dad, Kevin Owaki, and Anthony Cesar. We presented them with two ICOs. One of them was real. One of them was fake. And they had to pick the real or the fake one. Uh, fun, all man. three of them got it right. So it sounds like we need to become get more creative on our ICOs. But we also did a, a, a crypto and on crypto Twitter fantasy draft. And so each person had to draft their favorite uh, and on crypto Twitter uh, personalities. And so we got to like kind of you know, jostle for who wants to pick what uh, crypto anon and then and, and the pitch our team and how our team's better than the rest. And we did some around the horn, just quick takes on different topics. It was it was super fun. Uh, the the through line or the the kind of the tagline for for uh, top signal is that it is in a superposition of a, a complete psyops or the best alpha you've ever seen, or just a normal factual statement. It could be any of those three. We don't know uh, because <laughs> we don't do it. We don't do any fact checking on top signal. Yeah, it's just kind of fun. And I don't know what you guys have in store for the future, mm -hmm. but maybe some rap battles? That's a rumor? Hayden Adams and happen. Carl Florsch. We guys, we want you guys as a rap battle duo on on Top Signal. We're, it's going to happen oh at some God. point in time. That would be amazing. It's just a fun show. I can't wait for the next one. It sounds like there's no real like schedule. Like, um, when's the next one going to be, David? You as know? soon as we can, as we as soon as we corral the guests and get them on okay. to the show, it's going to be different every single time. Uh, we have Alexandra Botez, the chess streamer, and she's going to come on with her co-host because she's actually also producing uh, Ethereum content as well. And we're, I'm going to try and find the four best chess Are players. You try to beat them in chess. Yeah, okay. we're going to try and four v two them and see how far we can get. But overall, it's just going to be a fun time. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, guys, let's uh, switch to some of the raises really quick. Um, so one is uh, Nansen. So mm -hmm. Nansen is kind of like a blockchain data analytics provider. Big data consumer, space. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they they provide a lot of uh, Ethereum data. So they just received a funding from A16Z, $12 million, not an insignificant amount. Any uh, other takes on this? Yeah, no, I think this is really important infrastructure for just people who want to view the chain for data and the Ethereum blockchain has a, an insane amount of data. And so you need systems to parse and consume and like digest that data. That's what Nansen does. Um, and so this is gonna just be really important infrastructure moving forward. Also with layer twos, man, all, all this data totally. needs to be digested and consumed. So right. super important there. Um, also the Tracer DAO closed $4.5 million in a raise, some pretty, um, Pretty solid VCs were behind this. So one is Framework Ventures, who we've had on the podcast, but also some, um, uh, also also some angels like Mariano Conti were were part of this. And uh, what is this protocol? It seems like it's it's Perpetuals mm -hmm. again. So it's another story, and they're deploying on Arbitrum as well. So it's another layer two first deployment, not main chain, which is kind of interesting. We're seeing that trend. Any anything else to add about Tracer DAO, David? 
Yeah, the DAO tagline makes me think that it doesn't at all stop with perpetuals. I think it's going to be kind of something similar to a DX DAO, where they're just making a suite of financial services that's owned and operated by the DAO, and those suite of financial services makes the DAO money. Uh, and there's really positive statements by basically everyone involved. Um, I, Mariano Conti is somebody I definitely trust for Signal, so when he says that he's excited about something, uh, I pay attention. So, Tracer Dow, I'm going to be looking at you guys. Mariana Conti, the the Maker Mafia. Maybe that's a thing now. Um, <laughs> all right, David, let's talk news, man. First mm -hmm. is some Ethereum stuff. This deserves our attention. A DeFi education fund was proposed in Uniswap governance. Of course, we've talked about before. Uniswap has an absolutely massive treasury. It's, it's mostly in uni tokens. You hear like it every billions, single time on in the uh, Bankless ad. <laughs> billions. Well, exactly. That's right. Uh, so, but... Now this is a governance proposal to actually create a DeFi education fund, in quotes. Mm -hmm. This is a nonprofit. So a 501c4 nonprofit based in the US. Um, and it's it's trying to fund all of the following. Policymaker education. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Lobby type stuff. Thought leadership and research. Legal fire power. Messaging. Mm -hmm. Grassroots adv advocacy and best practices. It has people like Jake Chervinsky mm -hmm. on. Uh, has people um, in the uh, in the DeFi space as well. A lot of, uh, lot of DAO experts here as well. A lot of DAO experts. A lot of legal minds in DeFi. Um, and this is, I feel like, David, this is DeFi starting to flex its muscle and saying, right. hey, we want a voice mm -hmm. in legislation in, and we want to expand into hearts and minds and we have the money and funds to do that. So we're going to go deploy them. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, they are asking for 1 million uni tokens, which is a How lot. Much is that? that is uh, 15, 18 million dollars, uh, depending on the, the state of the market. Let me go check the price of uni right now. 17.7 dollars .7 per uni token. So 17.7 .7 million dollars at the time of recording is what they are requesting, which is a large amount of money but also like what the hell is the is the uh the treasury fork if you're not going to open up the purse strings right and so these are absolutely the right people to ask for this amount of money uh and so i'm kind of pretty excited to see what they can get done with this there is uh definitely some opportunities available to, for people to go and capture this so kind of think i'm pretty sure think of this as like its own like micro uni grants right they are they are taking uniswap money and then they are going to also give out grants with it so it's a grant giving grant uh, and they have definitely goals and, and objectives that they want to reach and there's a decent amount of things that the listener of this show could go and and produce if uh for for money uh and so they are looking for uh, my eyes go to the thought leadership and research uh post where they say we need more written and video content explaining DeFi and its benefits in a medium that positively impacts the public perception of DeFi. yo like right you and i can do that and so uh <laughs> we might be going after this bankless dow i challenge you guys to go after this bankless listeners i also challenge you guys to go after this money this money is for you so long as you can produce what these guys want you to produce yeah, and what what this really speaks to is I think DeFi is now fighting for hearts and minds, and mm -hmm. it's deploying capital to fight for hearts and minds. And this is not just like going on the offensive the narrative, exactly going on the offensive, but also like regulatory, mm -hmm. which is really good to hear because guess what? Banks have this kind of regulatory firepower. Even crypto banks have it. We're going to talk about some FTX news where they're deploying capital and you know all sorts of ways. So 
DeFi needs a voice in our legislative halls. And uh, I think this is a step towards that. So kind of cool. Um, David, let's talk about this. So mm-hmm. Brian Armstrong, CEO of Coinbase, put out a post uh, called Embracing Decentralization at Coinbase. And the headline here is basically talking about Coinbase creating uh, kind of an Apple App Store experience, right? But treating DeFi protocols as first-class citizens. So DeFi protocols being kind of the apps and Coinbase custody being sort of the like the custodian solutions being sort of the user interf- like the the um, I guess UI and the bridge to all of these apps. Um, kind of cool, David, because I think this is the protocol sync thesis in action. Coinbase is recognizing, hey, we don't have to build all of the apps. We don't even have to have maybe the most liquid trading markets in the world. We could just provide an interface to Uniswap and charge a fee on top of that. This to me is the future of banks. Now we'll have to see how they enact this. Um, but um, I do think it's going to be good for DeFi protocols uh, overall. Not everybody's ready to, to hold their own private keys. They need some handholding, at least at first, to get into this space. Any thoughts here? Yeah, they really advertise the uh, crypto app store, which uh, gives me flashbacks to 2017 and 2018, where people were like, oh, yeah, we, ha- we used to have apps in the traditional app stores, Google, iOS. Now we have these D apps. And so we're going to fundraise $100 million to build the D app store, not realizing that D apps don't actually exist as something that you can download. Like imagine going to your phone and downloading Uniswap. That's like a nonsensical thing to do. But that was like the vision back in 2017. But now this this can make a little bit more sense now. I think if people are... Um, People are looking for familiarity when they come into crypto. They are straight up looking for like the DeFi tab in their Coinbase wallet or like where, where's all the DeFi things? Uh, and so maybe it's actually a, a really power play to put all of DeFi into one single UI uh, and really make that available as a consumer in the ways that they are used to when it comes to the app store. So they can literally tap on Uniswap and then they open up Uniswap. Um, yeah. I, I was never a fan of the 2017 like DAP thing, like we're creating an app store and like that was just such a, because it was very unfocused, but I am a fan of this because I think money apps are the thing. That is the thing that we are producing in crypto. It's a better banking system, a better financial system for the world. And so this seems much more focused. Remember the mm-hmm. D apps of yesteryear where it could be anything, mm-hmm. like it could be like a decentralized social media thing, or mm-hmm. it could be like P-Biff. a- yeah, all of these weird things that no one was actually using, but mm-hmm. like, hey, if I can get four percent on my um, my USDC on my stablecoin by using a, a an app through Coinbase, I don't have to figure out DeFi. Then cool, you know, sign me up. So, uh, Dave, let's talk about this coin. Kane's glorious return. So, Kane um, of the synthetics product, he he co-founded that. Uh, he has now returned to save the project. What's going on here? What I didn't know synthetics needed saving. Was it in trouble? Yeah, so Kane likes to joke how he had taken a step back uh, from the benevolent dictator to kind of just the guy that writes blogs over at synthetics. Because like <laughs> to some degree, like he is the Vitalik of Ethereum for synthetics. He is the Satoshi for Bitcoin for synthetics. Uh, and, and if we like decentralized apps, we want our applications to have leaders. But there's a friction there because, you know, to some degree, leaders are leaders for a reason. Uh, and it sounds like uh, after Kane stepped away, there was a bit of a unfilled power vacuum that never really got filled by the the, the DAO. Uh, and so it sounds like Kane's coming back in to really just kind of be that, that guide that synthetics needs. Um, DAOing is hard. Uh, and so maybe we do still need to, um, you know, 
come to terms with the fact that while DAOs are cool, they do need like maybe some one single person kind of calling the shots uh, until these things really grow out and mature. Yeah, it seems like it's going to oscillate back and forth be between that and the DAO structure where you like you decentralize and then you maybe do it too much and mm -hmm. you need to like, you know, recentralize or yeah. create some more structure and then maybe do that too much and you kind of ebb and flow until you get the exact combination. Maybe that's how this is working. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's uh, the next ebb and flow of uh, synthetics though. Um, David, let's talk NFT stuff, man. We got to start here. Axie Infinity, which is a gaming platform, is absolutely booming. I was amazed when I saw this. So this is um, William Peaster who writes the Bankless Metaversal newsletter. Uh, he just put this post out today. Look at this, dude. Um, last 30 days, wow. Axie Infinity has provided $11 million to its players. Wow. You know, that, like That means you're playing Axie and you're making money while you're playing video games my God, that was my dream as a 12-year-old boy growing up. Like, man, it's here. <laughs> I can literally like- There's a generation too late, Ryan. <laughs> right, I know, man. Why, like, I can play video games for a living and not just stream it like, um, you know, the Twitch streamers mm -hmm. these days, but like the items I'm mining and the skills I have in this game, I can actually, these are real items with real world power. It's like, Man, it's all my childhood fantasies are like happening now, David. Dude, I'm a kid again. Imagine if Diablo, <laughs> if you could have made money from Diablo 2. Ah! Like, imagine how much money like a bail run would have gotten you. Uh, oh my God. Imagine how addicted I would be, though. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, maybe Bankless wouldn't have been existed. You'd still be playing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy that Axie Infinity is making a substantial amount of more money, at least, again, at least in the last uh, 30 days. 30 days, not a short amount of time, than MakerDAO. Uh, Axie Infinity pulled in $11 million in revenue versus MakerDAO's $8.4 million. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that $11 million revenue for Axie Infinity goes to like the Axie team or is if that's more like going to the players who are playing. I think it's I, going... My understanding, it's going to the players. I think it's going to the players, like you, right. You earn these things called like love potions and mm -hmm. there's a market for love potions and then you can sell the love potions that you're earning on like Uniswap for, for money. So this mm -hmm. is like, again, the intersection of like gaming, NFTs and DeFi all mashed together. Totally. And this is actually not the first time that we've seen uh, the story of people generating more uh, income than their minimum wage in their home country. Uh, we saw this with Gaza Unchained. There was a story of uh, uh, some Brazilian player who was making like two to three times the minimum wage just playing Gaza Unchained and collecting scarce assets. Um, I think this is uh, the signs of a thing, things to come. Yeah, look at this. Axie Infinity, this is um, Linda um, talking about Axie Infinity players in the Philippines earning living wage through mm -hmm. this. Uh, really cool how global this is as well. Uh, all right, David, on the NFT subject, uh, Twitter is dropping its own NFTs on Rarible. Uh, that seems like a big deal. What's right. going on? Yeah, uh, Jack Jack Dorsey is on one side of things telling us that Lightning Network is coming to Twitter, yet Twitter seems to be coming to Rarible to issue NFTs first. That's an interesting little juxtaposition right there. Uh, I, I don't know why these NFTs are valuable. They don't, I think, I don't really think they're- It seems they're, like they're testing. They're something. just testing. It seems like, yeah, it seems like a, a test, Sandbox. right? Like these aren't historical Twitter moments. It's not like Jack's tweet where he actually did sell that. Uh, these are kind of just random little Twitter creative drawings. So it's kind of the fact that the uh, verified Twitter account is selling these things. That's really the big thing. It's not necessarily NFTs themselves. Back to your comment about Dorsey, though, um, somebody asked him, um, or somebody said this, I've talked shit about Jack being a maxi in the past, a Bitcoin maxi, that is. But ever since um, following somebody, he's looking into it more, only a matter of time before he buys into ETH, mm -hmm. Jack Dorsey buying ETH. And then Jack Dorsey comes in this thread, who's tagged on and says, no, 
Mm-hmm. No, he is not buying ETH. And uh, I love this follow-up. I think yep. this is the follow-up. Chain, Chainlink God says, how'd you pay the gas fees to mint these NFTs then, Jack? <laughs> must Somebody must have bought ETH. Somebody on Twitter. So, somebody somebody is buying ETH. Either it's Jack this, or Twitter itself. Is this cognitive dissonance? Like, why does... why? Just capitulate, Jack. It's okay. Just come it's on, okay. Bankless. Let's have a talk about it. it we, we'll I'm, be really nice. There can be more than one coin. Yeah. There can be more than one store value. Mm-hmm. Okay, a couple more things going on in NFT world. The first is uh, Tim Berners-Lee has sold an NFT. This guy was one of the main people behind the internet that we know and love today. He sold some original code in NFT form for 5.4 million. This is another piece of crypto culture, or excuse me, internet culture getting preserved and valued as an NFT. Any thoughts here? Uh, Yeah, I really think this is one of the core legitimate purposes behind NFTs. Not people just like spinning up some 3D animations and graphics and selling that. That's cool too. But NFTs are art and art is partly historical. And if you want to own a piece of history, that's kind of the the role that art serves. And if you want to own a piece of internet history, that's product market fit for NFTs. And so this going for $5.4 million, that's actually kind of where I see NFTs kind of like planting a flag and saying, this is what we are for. There's many other, many, many other things. There was an NFT mania that happened, but the high priced one of ones of deep internet culture that happened before in, uh, NFTs were even a thing. I think that's that kind of phenomenon is here to stay. Uh, so congratulations for Tim Berners-Lee created something open source for free and then got $5.4 million like 30 years later. <laughs> Do we know who bought it? Did PleaserDAO get it? or PleaserDAO did not buy it. I think they voted against buying it. Oh, interesting. Well, you know what? It's, Unknown it's super buyer. cool. Every, every time this happens, though, David, um, it makes CNN, you mm-hmm. know? like And that in itself is cool. That's a great thing for crypto. All right, let's CNN talk about CNN has issued some NFTs last week, uh, not apparently. What? Fun fact. Yeah, we don't have to go into it because they were a bunch of BS, but they're also in the <laughs> NFT game. <laughs> All right, can't can't not be in the NFT game, I guess. Even if you're Jay Z, this is crazy, dude. Um, this is DeFi Dad tweet. Never thought I'd see Jay Z with a CryptoPunk in his profile. So Jay Z bought a CryptoPunk and turned his profile into a punk. Is that well, right? We, we don't know the first part, uh, but <laughs> we don't know if he actually bought the CryptoPunk. But yes, his avatar is a CryptoPunk. It would be weird. It would be a transgression if you didn't own the CryptoPunk that is your Twitter avatar. Um, uh, yeah. That's but, a uh, hot CryptoPunk too, a hot, that's a, Yeah. That's, Sim- simple features. looks like Jay-Z. You know, uh, black eye, funny hair, gold necklace. Like, looks like Jay-Z. Um, that's yeah. A, that's the right CryptoPunk I- for him. So we don't know if Jay-Z bought that or like somebody on his team bought that, but somebody knows what they're doing with respect mm-hmm. to like NFT culture and crypto cult- culture right. to do that. And Good branding. I guess what was that because he's minting an mm-hmm. NFT? Mm-hmm. So he minted this NFT and maybe you could talk about it, but he also looks like has uh, HOV.ETH Hove, yeah. as mm-hmm. an NS address, Hove.ETH. Um, he's got 99 problems, but minting ain't one. I love that, man. What's going on here? Yeah, so he minted an NFT contract. And if you pay, are paying attention to the ceremonious event of minting a token, people like to put in ASIC art into their token contract just because it's free space. Why not? Uh, and so they put in this big ASIC art Jay-Z into the token contract that they minted for whatever this uh, NFT that Jay-Z is issuing. Uh, I don't think that Jay-Z is knowledgeable about CryptoPunks or ASIC art in token minting contracts himself. I think that he 
uh, hired a very well-informed just like assistant or somebody to help guide or advisor and that advisor is doing a great job so uh jay-z nice pick on your advisor bro it looks like somebody from the ethereum community got him uh hove.eth too which is really cool um all right, so this is the actual auction. So he's releasing this NFT on Sotheby's. Mm -hmm. So again, mainstream like artist, rapper, cultural figure meets mainstream art distributor meets crypto NFTs. Another pretty big event. I don't know, man. It doesn't seem like NFTs are dead to me. It seems like stuff is still happening. No, I think NFTs are just becoming more precise. That's what's going on yeah. is a lot. The sheer number of NFTs be, uh, being issued is definitely going down, but like the NFTs Quality that are left increasing. behind are going up, up, up in value, right? Mm -hmm. Prestige yeah, value super going cool. up. Mm -hmm. Rumor is Katy Perry, uh, Katy Perry NFT next. Katy I mean, Perry NFT. All the artists getting in this. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's crazy. California girls. Here we go. <laughs> Bitcoin stuff. Bitcoin miner migration, man, that's been mm -hmm. a big story. So like story. what's happening, bottom line is all the Bitcoin miners are leaving China right now due to oppressive China state regulation, essentially. As they're doing that, hash rate going down, 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 down. Of course, this adjusts algorithmically mm -hmm. every couple of weeks or so. But well, the, um, the hash rate does not. The Bitcoin or the difficulty adjustment yes, adjusts to, acc yes, to accommodate you. changes in hash rate. Right. So what what what's happening here? Are we just seeing the the results of um, the the migration yep. going on in hash rate and yep. um, difficulty adjustment? People turning off their ASIC units to put them in boxes and ship them elsewhere, uh, Where? And, uh, anywhere else. I think there's a lot of that's a it's a really important thing to find out. Each different I've farm, heard Texas. Yeah, people are really optimistic that it's coming to America. Uh, people and Bitcoiners are really trying to stamp their feet saying like, hey, like America is the right place to set up your Bitcoin shop. It's good. It's good for just the PR of Bitcoin. If more hash rate is onshore in America where Bitcoin is largely going to be become regulated. So favorable regulations if hash rate moves onshore, uh, people like that. But also the other conversation is that uh, China's really dirty, really dirty energy, lots of coal. Uh, and so anywhere, moving anywhere else out of China is positive towards like the whole green energy narrative that Bitcoin desperately needs. David, I'm going to skip ahead this this one, um, but this mm -hmm. is Bitcoin mining firm TerraWolf orders new machines. So $100 million in Bitcoin ASICs, it seems like they just ordered. I, actually, I don't know if this is exclusively. Yeah, it's it seems like it's exclusively Bitcoin ASICs. Um, what is going on here? So companies are still investing quite heavily in uh, in Bitcoin ASICs, $100 million here. How does this link to the Bitcoin uh, miner migration story? And what, what do you think the lens on this is? Yeah, the, and this actually isn't the only story of its kind this week. There's actually been a number of stories going around about uh, just mining firms, just allocating, like raising a bunch of money to purchase new ASICs. This is something that as a Bitcoin miner, you have to do. You have to always be cycling through ASICs. But like this very high, this is the, high, the highest number that I saw, 100 million going to purchase ASICs. What the strategy for Bitcoin mining, and this isn't true for this is just true for Bitcoin mining across the board, is that you buy like a hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin ASICs, and then you are going to mine Bitcoin at a discount for the next like three to five years. So that hundred million dollars of ASICs turns into somewhere between two hundred to five hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin over the next three to five years. You get it's discounted fixed Bitcoin. costs that you mm -hmm. have to amortize, right? Exactly. The the point that I would like to make is that. This $100 million going to purchase ASICs 
all of that $100 million and all of those ASICs are going to be deprecated probably by the end of five years. And five years is already kind of long. Like it's three by year, deprecated, you mean you can no longer mine using them. They no longer profitably mine. Dead, and, and then they can't, like, that's the other problem with ASICs is they can't be repurposed. Uh, and so, like, to some degree, like, that's that's nice for security, as in, like, there's nothing else for ASICs, uh, for the SHA-256 mining algorithm computers to do other than mine Bitcoin. And so when you purchase an ASIC, the only thing it can do is mine Bitcoin. As soon as it's dead, like, you can't repurpose it. You can't plug it into a different system. There's only Bitcoin. And so three to five years, there's $100 million of ASIC waste that happens because these things are just literally trash. And and to me, this is this is why people say that proof of work is just proof of stake with extra steps. If you are purchasing a hundred million dollars worth of ASICs, you are locked into mining Bitcoin. That's the only thing you can do with your hundred million dollar investment. You are locked into these ASICs. You are you are uh, locked into the value of Bitcoin and the value of the Bitcoin blockchain and the value of BTC. And then you get discounted Bitcoins over time for the next three to five years. And, but it's not even efficient proof of stake because you have to keep on spending capital to buy more ASICs and the ASICs keep on getting burnt and wasted. And so like this is, this is uh, just, I wanted to bring this up just because this is good anecdotes and good lessons for why proof of stake is what it is. It's the same, there's the same similar properties to proof of work just, it's just cuts to the chase, which is that proof of work is just proof of stake with with extra steps involved and a lot of waste. Stake is just tokenized ASICs. We've said that before. I think it's true here. Two other points I want to make on that, David, is is one, uh, we don't often talk, we talk about the energy consumption of, of Bitcoin mining, mm -hmm. but we don't talk about the hardware energy consumption right. of Bitcoin mining. All of those mm -hmm. machines need to be thrown away. And there's a whole trash energy dumps. ESG debate here that they're totally trash after mm -hmm. a few years. But I will say on the flip side, Bitcoiners will say, that's actually an advantage, David, because what it does is this it, is good it for recycles Bitcoin. some of the capital, right? So like it distributes capital in a way, like they'll they'll say that um, staking ASICs, uh, if you want to call them that, that they the don't tokens deprecate, behind, right? they, they don't deprecate. They never, so that establishes a uh, ruling oligarchy plutocracy in the network that, that Bitcoin doesn't have. Um, I think we've had Justin Drake on that, to kind of debate that. And what's interesting about that debate is like the actual amount of Bitcoin that gets distributed at, at this point in time from that is like super small, like right. relatively small um, compared to the cost to the system to, to do that distribution. And then the other thing is, I guess, like who's it getting distributed to, right? It's definitely not getting distributed to the mom and pops because they can't, they can't afford a hundred million dollars to run ASICs in a data center. They're not, no one's mining out of their homes. So I, you know, there there is a, a counterpoint that Bitcoiners would say about this, about it being a good thing. Um, I, I don't know. I, I have my sure counterpoints to those counterpoints. I don't know if we want to keep on going. Lay on them this. on me real quick. Okay, so the, the whole proof of stake rich get richer thing is like, you know, it's good that ASICs deprecate because then if you are a mining operation, you keep on having to expend capital to keep up. Interesting take. That doesn't mean that like proof of stake is the complete opposite where like the rich only get richer. If you are staking and you are a hundred million dollar fund or you're an individual with just like three ether, you are receiving the same rate same of return, yeah. same rate of return. And so the, like, yes, There's no the, economies of scale. The, the stakers are getting richer as a proportion of the overall e supply versus non stakers. But if you want to participate in consensus, the whole reason why proof of stake is so cool is I can do it for my laptop, I can do it for my home, and I have the access to the same rate of return as a gargantuan hedge fund. Uh, and so to some degree, like, 
it's not a distribution problem if everyone can access this stake, right? If everyone can access the upside. Uh, and that, that's a really important point to point to drive home. The other thing that, that Bitcoiners often talk about is how like, you know, Bitcoin is going to be green because it's going to incentivize energy production and Bitcoiners and Bitcoin uh, mining operations are actually going to be the source of energy because they are going to be paired with an energy generation facility and Bitcoin miners are actually going to get their energy for free. This is this is a, a, a thought, a theory as to the future of Bitcoin miners. This is articulated by Bitcoiners. The problem with that is that once Bitcoin miners get their energy for free, then it's the same critique that they were just critiquing proof of stake about where the rich get richer because these miners have zero capital costs because they're getting free energy. And so there's, yeah. there's friction, there's tension between these two narratives articulated by Bitcoiners that you can only pick one. All right. I like interesting, right? There's mm -hmm. definitely both sides to this argument. Uh, and uh, it's interesting to see that play out. But wow, um, a lot of money on Bitcoin mining still happening. While we're on Bitcoin, David, let's talk about Kathy Wood's ARK Invest. They are planning to create a Bitcoin ETF called ARK B. Now, whether they'll be successful, mm -hmm. who knows? No one's been successful previously. But this is really interesting. They had been buying Grayscale in bulk, and they're still doing that. They're buying both uh, Grayscale G GBDC and the ETH E version of Grayscale. This is kind of a departure to kind of cut out the Grayscale middleman and apply for an ETF directly. Whether there's, they'll be successful or not, who knows? Only the SEC knows. Only Gary Gensler and, and crew are in control of that. Um, but it is an interesting move at any rate and definitely shows bullishness on Bitcoin and crypto writ large. The, the pile of proposed Bitcoin ETFs just continues to grow. I really feel sorry for the SEC because they are really- Do you? Really, it's easy, man. It's in a hard, I have a way out for the SEC. Just approve them. Oh yeah, but all you have all, all of them? And then if you don't approve all of them, how, how do you select which ones to not like approve? Like, oh, at it's this definitely point, not credibly neutral. Right, yeah. it's not, not a credibly neutral choice. And they've really backed themselves into a corner on this one. But, um, you know, Kathy Wood, love what you're doing. Uh, I really hope that you get your Bitcoin ETF. And I hope you come on Bankless. Yep, TBD. that one too. That's one coming soon, hopefully. Um, all right, let's talk about this. Conclude Bitcoin news. Adults in El Salvador are getting $30 in Bitcoin as El Salvador is unveiling details to make crypto a legal uh, tender. We talked about this mm -hmm. a couple of uh, episodes ago. It's big news, right? Making legal tender, making Bitcoin legal tender, tender in El Salvador is big. There's always this question of, okay, how are the people going to benefit from this? Mm -hmm. This is kind of cool, David. Right. Looks like the El Salvadorian government is going to give individual citizens up to $30 in order to promote adoption. And they have to buy that Bitcoin from somewhere. Right. Mm -hmm. it, they can't just mint it. They can't produce it. This is not a fiat <laughs> currency, right? They have to buy it in order mm -hmm. to get it or mine it. Maybe some volcano mining. I don't know. But uh, it's kind of a cool story. And mm -hmm. uh, I think it's great for the Bitcoin community and great for Bitcoin adoption. And if, if you are an El Salvadorian citizen and you are skeptical about El Salvador's usage of Bitcoin, perhaps this free move, money helps. <laughs> free money helps. That's literally the purpose of airdrops, right? Uh, and also, if you want to generate a Bitcoin native economy inside of El Salvador, you need Bitcoin to be in the hands of people. Like imagine if you're just like, if your family in El Salvador is talking to this other family in El Salvador and they're like, oh, Bitcoin is legal tender now. Do you guys have any? No, no, we don't have any Bitcoin. Oh, well, now you do. Now you, everyone just got $30 in Bitcoin. So now you can actually start that in uh, that uh, Bitcoin native economy inside of El Salvador. I think this is a really Dude, good I move that really indicates that um, the president of El Salvador, Naib, his, his heart's in the right place. His heart and mind's in the right place. So uh, good move, good move. 
I saw Naib, um, you shaking hands or, or standing next to Peter McCormick, um, a mm-hmm. podcaster. Mm-hmm. It's, what, what a crazy world we live right. in, David. Mm-hmm. Like a uh, media podcaster shaking hands with the president, president of the sovereign yeah. nation to mm-hmm. talk about Bitcoin. Um, kind of wild stuff. Anyway, we'll be following that as it progresses in the future. Let's talk about uh, Binance and um, UK regulation. This is our regulatory section. The UK is cracking down on Binance, ordering the exchange to cease operations in the UK. I'm not sure how much they're able to actually restrict Binance's right. operation, but it seems like they're trying to, and he takes here. Yeah, the, the longer that Binance continues to exist, the more and more it's going to just come under the purview of nation states. It's a meat space company under that's operating under meat space laws. The meat space is going to come after Binance at some point in time, and it's going to have to bend the knee to nation states. That is my take. Yep. I think it's happy to bend the knee too. All right, let's talk about the Fed now. So this is a a vice chair of the Federal Reserve Board, um, Randy Quarles, and he authored a paper called uh, Parachute Pants, an article that is, and Central Bank Money, which basically he argues the TLDR is our existing banking system is fine. Um, Our payment system works well. It's getting even better all of the time. And we don't really need a CDBC stablecoin at all or a CDBC strategy to compete with China. Um, He said this, and then he also said, which I find very interesting, but yes, we should be saying yes to stablecoins, to private stablecoins. So his take is no CBDC. We don't need to create a centralized China style CBDC, but yes, stablecoins are fine, like private uh, you know, stable coins acting as sort of a proxy CBDC, that, that's okay. Um, so it just shows, David, that there continues to be some division, I think, within the right. US government and the Fed on what its strategy is. Unlike China, which seems like, no, we're full steam ahead. We're doing the CBDC thing. We're going to digitize everything. The Fed is kind of waffling on, should we do one or, right. or should we not? We're not really sure. And it keeps going back and forth, it seems like. Yeah, uh, on the last weekly roll-up with uh, Anthony Susano, we had a, a topic about how the Fed is continuing to research and look into central bank digital currencies. I'm like, <laughs> oh, great, more research, more, more, more talk. Um, this is interesting that a Fed vice chair is saying, "Hey, let's let the private market produce the products." I'm aligned with this, actually. Uh, that makes more sense to me. I mean, do fix your, your banking system is not what you said it was. If that was yeah. actual quote, like, <laughs> let, let's be not. real here. Uh, and also, stable coins are the solution to that. Um, but I also agree with you. We do not need a central bank digital currency for the U.S. dollar. All right, let's talk crypto banks really quick. So uh, FT, uh, FTX, which is a crypto exchange, crypto bank as mm-hmm. we call them, uh, has just recruited Tom Brady and Giselle, Tom Brady's wife, to be the spokesperson for FTX. Uh, FTX. I don't know if given them some equity, some investing mm-hmm. uh, as well, some money in exchange for this. Really interesting how crypto banks are starting to saturate into mainstream. Both we mm-hmm. talked about this from a regulatory perspective, but now like mainstream influencers, yep. um, not on the DeFi bandwagon, but like on the crypto bank da- bandwagon. Um, I don't love this. I don't hate this. What's your take? Yeah, I, my, my question is, do you think Sam Bankman-Fried is really all that much of a sports fan? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think, think he is. I don't think the, he is. The answer to that question is no. Right. But is he a savvy business person? Yes. Is he a, yes. a new level banker right. using all the tools at his disposal to mm-hmm. make more money and make FTX bigger? Yes. Yes, that's exactly what's going on. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know how this ends. I guess it's okay for crypto. I don't know long-term if it's good for decentralization. I feel mm-hmm. like there's some final bosses out there, but there is a mini boss where DeFi might have to fight the, the crypto banks at some point in time. Right. I've always thought that. Right. Um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I like FTX. 
uh, SBF has me blocked on Twitter, but if I could tweet at you, I'd be like, Hey, come on bankless. Let's we'll talk, talk about, about what your this. plans are. Yeah. Right. Let's talk about it. All right. Let's do some drive-bys, David. Well, um, ICP is not insane. Oh con Posse. What is ICP? What are they doing? Uh, ICP is the Short internet story. computer. Uh, is that, is that what that means? I think that's what that means. It's the token yep. for Definity. And Definity has been largely critiqued by its large, high production launch and high media, just overall, just like a ton of marketing, ton of PR, ton of production. Taking forever, too. Taking forever to, to, get, to get their product out the door. People who pay attention to uh, Definity say that their code is really interesting. Um, but I think that they have just taken all of the opportunity that they could have had to be a legitimate product and they crumpled it up in a piece of paper and they threw it in the trash because the team dumped so much of the tokens into the free market that it just tanked the price. Uh, and so the the Definity team walked away with, I think something like, uh, go back, can you go back to the, the first screenshot, Ryan? Something with 300, uh, they dumped 20 million ICP tokens, Definity tokens, at the average, pr- average price of $300, walked away with $6 billion in the first two weeks of trading. So they said, hey, all you people that are bullish Definity, that's great. We're going to dump on you. And there's no way, there's no faster way to just ruin your legitimacy as a project than to dump on the people that are willing to buy into your project on day one. Like, big mistake. Big mistake. It's it. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Well, I mean, I, I mean how, how do I say it's a mistake? They made $6 billion. But also, <laughs> you ruined your legitimacy. Yeah, it depends what their what their intent was, and legitimacy. I think as a as a currency, as a money, it's in gone. Particular, it's gone. Yeah, it's uh, that definitely feels gone. Or at least it would take a lot for that to come mm-hmm. back. Um, let's talk about Visa. Visa makes five strategic crypto hires and placements. Dude, Visa is doubling down in crypto. We're gonna have the guy behind this. Um, Q Sheffield on Bankless to talk about what Visa is doing. Hopefully, at some point in the future, they just have to get that cleared by legal. But I want to hear what Visa is doing, man, because mm-hmm. it seems like they've got a crypto strategy and they're gearing up. David, this last thing: um, USDC stablecoin is now expanding to multiple blockchains. Could soon be on ten networks. So this is not just Ethereum, but it's Tron. It's I don't know wherever else can support um, L2s? crypto L2s. I'm sure. Uh, Solana, I'm sure. Uh, any any thoughts on this expansion? It's just nope. inevitable. Nope. The U.S. dollar owes no allegiance to any blockchain, um, but I expect the majority of the USDC to stay on Ethereum. All right, guys, we are going to be back with some hot takes, but before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. 
Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their earn program where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, we are back with the takes of the week. Then we're going to get to memes, so stick with us. The first is from uh, Gajesh, I think, gajesh.eth.com in the 90s, .eth in the 20s, the 2020s, that is mm-hmm. kind of a cool take. Our, this is like the new internet. That's what this is saying, .com to .eth. Any thoughts here? Yeah, to some degree, I, I, I'm i also not paying attention to this, but the world of like .eth addresses, like, you know, I got davidhoffman.eth, you got rsa.eth, like, there's a world of speculation to be had in there, and I don't know why that's not a bigger world. Like, you gotta you gotta claim the ENS domains if you if you think that this is true. I'd I'd, I'd pay a few hundred dollars for uh, DavidHoffman.eth, like even now, dude. I, I offered the guy that owned David.eth five ETH for for David.eth, but he wouldn't. He the the lowest bid was thirteen ETH, and I was like, oh no, I like ETH too much. Uh, ooh, like ETH too much. that's a lot. You know, oh, funny yeah. story. We can't get Bankless.eth either. Somebody's got that. Um, Actually, no, we did get we, bankless.e. Yeah, we have it. We do have it. You bought it. Sorry. You bought it. <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, you told me you got it. <laughs> yeah, no, we spent, uh, I we think, spent, like $3,000 on that. Yeah, we, we spent some Something money like to, to claim that. A lot that, of that was a good move. Sorry, I was yeah. thinking of bankless.dow.eth that we can't do. Uh, that we can't yeah, get. someone's squatting yeah, on that one. That. Oh, my God. I don't even know the ENS names we own. We have <laughs> bankless.eth, guys. Never fear. You know what? Jagesh uh, is also, he's like a 13-year-old kid. Do you know this, David? So um, he listens awesome. to Bankless. Mm-hmm. He's DMing me before. He's a blockchain developer. He's a kid. He's got almost 20,000 followers. Um, and the like meme for his oh, header, like he, this guy is yeah, deep look in at this. crypto culture. The Godfather? Yeah. Oh, oh, he, I wonder. He's with it, man. Yeah. How many How many people do you think like listen to the show who are like 18 or like under 18? I, I don't know. Maybe you know, the the Instadap brothers who made who made Instadap. They were both under eighteen when they started working on Instadap. I think the youngest one was like fifteen when he started working on Instadap, and then they raised some couple million dollars a few years later before one of them hit eighteen. It was crazy. This is awesome, man. This is millennials handing the torch over to Zoomers. Mm-hmm. Like we kind of started this thing, but like you guys are going to take it to the finish right. line. Yep. Um, so it's awesome to see. All right, let's see this take. Um, so this, I think it starts with uh, Gutenberg. Yeah. Why don't you read this out, David? Yeah, uh, this is a tweet from Greg Eisenberg. He says, the Gutenberg launched the printing press when 96% of the people in Europe were illiterate. 
that's how it feels to be building in Web3 slash crypto today. It's just early. Uh, there, and there's an interesting like, you know, a thought experiment to be had where like, imagine you're inventing the Gutenberg machine and somebody, some investor comes up to you and goes, why would you invent the printing press when only 4% of the population can read? Like that doesn't make any sense. No one's going to want your Bad products. UX. Bad UX. Turns out it was a printing press that taught people to read and then became what? the most influential piece of technology of like the next 500 years. So Anthony Cesano quote retweets this tweet and says, this tweet has been messing with my head since I saw it yesterday. And then friend of the pod, Josh Rosenthal, the guy behind the Crypto Renaissance podcast goes, Sazzle is in the know. It's a great point and even more spot on than, uh, than uh, the, the original poster of this tweet. Uh, Josh says, permissionless communication drove the Renaissance combined with ledger-based fintech in the 1400s, unraveling hierarchies and empowering communities. Links to a YouTube video. I'm pretty sure that's our podcast. Uh, and that's why that podcast was so good. And if you haven't listened to the Crypto Renaissance podcast, you got to go listen to it. Uh, links to a specific part in this podcast. That's great, dude. I love this tweak. I think it's, I think it is spot on how, mm. like how many people are learning finance through crypto today. Right. Uh, me, I, this is how I'm learning finance. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, let's talk about this Coinbase. This is Brian Armstrong. Again, he says, we plan to list every crypto asset where legally viable. This is a departure, I mm -hmm. think, but I'm glad they are at least broadcasting this yeah. because there was a time and place where Coinbase was seen as sort of a, a gatekeeper for retail. Right. Like they would help you avoid bad investments, like terrible mm -hmm. assets. And I think now they're, they're saying like, we're making no statement as to whether these assets are good buys or bad buys or complete scams or not scams. Right. If it's legally viable, we're just going to list it. Right. It does feel like that is the lowest common denominator for exchanges. Like if Binance is listing it, how can mm -hmm. Coinbase not listing it? Right. So I understand this approach. And um, like, I, I guess I appreciate the clarity there. It's like, just because right. it's on Coinbase doesn't mean you should buy it, guys. Totally. They used to have the Coinbase like asset framework to really gauge the quality of an asset and they would score on different like different scores. And that was kind of like a cover your own ass strategy that they were doing. And I think actually that might have backfired because if you start talking about the different natures of the different properties of the asset, is it centralized, who owns the supply, blah, blah, blah. Well, then you actually start to get into a realm that you maybe didn't want to get into into the first place, which is delving too deep as to the nature of the assets. And so instead of having that that like five part like point level system that there was the original framework they are just doing a binary one or zero like is it legally viable is it legal or is it yeah. not right uh and to some degree that like you know removes responsibility for even commenting on the, the quality of the token so as a profit maximalist and a business maximalist perspective it makes it makes sense it makes sense. You know, it's kind of fun is, is Uniswap doesn't even check for that. It's even more credibly neutral. It doesn't even <laughs> rely on the legal system. Right. Is it an ERC-20 asset right. or not? Uh -huh. That's the only level right. of gatekeeping or permission right. you need mm -hmm. for Uniswap, which is uh, a beautiful thing. All right. Um, let's look at this uh, Vitalik quote, David. This mm -hmm. really, uh, this was really cool. And it's a Vitalik quote from a early, long time early, ago, actually. Um, but it's held up like a lot of things Vitalik has talked about or done over the years. Whereas most technologies, Vitalik says, tend to automate workers on the periphery doing menial tasks. What blockchains do is automate away the center. So instead of putting the taxi driver out of a job, blockchain puts Uber out of a job and lets the taxi driver work with the customer directly. Mm -hmm. I think that's a super powerful quote because um, what he's talking about is like a new architecture for the economy. 
Uh, we just had this conversation with some folks about the creator economy, our, our panel that we just had yesterday, David, and we talked about this being a uh, more friendly era and economy for individual creators. And I think that's what that's what Vitalik is is talking about. That um, blockchain is actually creating a mechanism for creators to interact directly with the market without having to go through a big Web 2.0 middleman or an Uber, uh, for instance. That is kind of the end state goal of this uh, and super cool if we can make that happen. Yeah, this reminds me of another Vitella quote where he says like the cool thing about Ethereum is it doesn't put the taxi cab driver out of a job. It puts the CEO of Uber out of a job or it puts the middle management or the bureaucracy out of a job. And you know, bureaucracy by almost definition doesn't add value. It's just an efficiency and, and yeah, it's just like, it's not the value creators. The value creators are the Uber drivers or the content producers or whatever. And this is actually the original version of DAOs. Uh, DAOs these days are really kind of just nicknames for digital organizations where people just exist in a discord and have a plan and a goal. The original vision of DAOs was code at the center and humans at the periphery where Uber drivers would come interact with like the Uber app, the Uber DAO, the Uber D app, and the Uber D app would autonomously ascribe them like tasks. And then they would, the Uber humans would do the tasks. And then the Uber DAO would, you know, award money to them. Code at the center, humans at the periphery. That was the OG version of DAOs, and that's still yet being built out. Like stuff like Airbnb and Uber and the sharing economy stuff, really hard to do, but that's the vision that Vitalik is articulating here. And I still think that's the vision for Ethereum. It's just like probably the hardest thing to tackle. And Jesse, our friend Jesse Walden would say this is the ownership economy. So it's not mm -hmm. just the Uber driver earning money, the Uber, the Uber driver is actually earning ownership, which earning means equity, equity in the platform in the yeah. network. Mm -hmm. And so upside, right, yep. which is super cool and uh, a way to flip capital markets on its head. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about this. So uh, Koopa Troopa, another participant in the Dow panel that we just had. So guys, check that out. If you haven't yet, I think um, that's on YouTube right now. Mm -hmm. We're probably putting it in the podcast too. Oh, sorry, already out the podcast. It's out on the podcast, wrote a great piece on the Dow landscape. David, what are, what are some of the highlights from this um, article for you? Yeah, Cooper is a great writer and he he's just paying attention to DAOs at large. And so if you are, we, we keep on talking about DAOs on Bankless. And if you're trying to get up to speed with DAOs, definitely check out this article from Cooper. He both like just talks about the current state of specific DAOs as well as more high level, broad just uh, ideas or thoughts about how DAOs are organized and, and some good mental models and graphics to go along with it. All right, David, it's that time of the week. What are you excited about, David Hoffman? I got an article coming out on the Bankless Newsletter next week, and it's been a while since I've written, and it's been a while since I've written to this level of effort. Uh, some of my most recent articles, I've kind of just written it and sent it out, but this one, I've really been taking my time really going back and editing. It's all about the march of DeFi capital efficiency uh, in the lens of Ether, the asset, right? So DeFi is always in a competition to become more and more and more capitally efficient. Every new successful DeFi protocol is successful because it's a more capitally efficient version of any predecessor. Uniswap V2 is a improvement on the capital efficiency of V1. Uniswap V3 is a capital efficient improvement on V2. Balancer V2 is a capitally efficient improvement upon Balancer. It's all about capital efficiency. It's all about capital efficiency. Layer on capital efficiency to how ETH is the native asset of Ethereum and receives all of these capitally efficient tailwinds. 
And that's completely aside from Ether as ultrasound money. Ether is ultrasound money specifically at the protocol level. Ultrasound comes from the Ethereum protocol. DeFi is doing something completely differently, which is also putting tailwinds behind Ether, the asset, which is allowing Ether to become the most capitally efficient asset of all time. That's what I've been writing about. Still, still in the editing process, really trying to make this as punchy as possible. But I think this article is going to be a good one. And that's what I'm excited about. This is new for you. You seem oddly bullish ETH, which I've never heard from you before, David. <laughs> I've come around to ETHER lately. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like an article uh, from like 2019 or 2020 mm -hmm. when like you were writing these big thought pieces mm -hmm. on how DeFi protocols were going to kind of consume and, and eat up uh, Ether as an asset. So, mm -hmm. man, I'm super excited to read that. Um, yeah. That's another, that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. It's always been, the game for DeFi uh, applications has always been to gobble up Ether, right? And the competition for DeFi apps to become more capitally efficient is just incentives, better and better incentives for people to deposit their into their Ether into these DeFi apps. DeFi apps want your Ether. They're trying to, they're trying to eat it. Uh, and so they're trying to convince you to put it in there. And they do that by making a better product. It's crazy. Competition. Competition. They're competing for your ETH. Yes. We always say competition is good for the consumer. In DeFi, competition is good for Ether. Absolutely. Ryan, what are you excited about? I'm excited about DAOs, man. I'm feeling that DAO energy. did a conference uh, about DAOs. I, I need to get it caught up with. We had um, a creator economy panel on DAOs. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing what's happening in the Bankless DAO. We had I four to hours of DAO content on Bankless yesterday, Oh my by God, the way. so much content. Um, and I'm... Uh, listen to your Meet the Nation with Coordinate, mm -hmm. which was awesome. They talked about at the end about like kind of DAO theory. And I'm just appreciating this, this DAO energy and it seems so simple, right? What are DAOs? They're programmable LLCs. Um, but this is so fundamentally important, like programmable capital coordination tools. You got multi-sigs, which are like the, the programmable treasuries. You've got um, tokens, which are like programmable cap tables. You've got this all built on top of Ethereum as a programmable banking system, it's global, it's nat internet native, it's completely open. Um, Koopa Troopa said this too lately, uh, where he said basically NFT DAOs are where NFTs were a year ago. And I feel the same way about DAOs as I felt a year ago about NFTs, which is like, I knew they were this really exciting, really awesome primitive that we're so early in, in using. Um, and I know that DAOs are going to be absolutely massive. Jesse Walden said, we're going to have a DAO sometime in the next couple of decades that is bigger and more important and more complicated and interesting than uh, social media tech, like Facebook. Mm -hmm. Wow. Like bigger than the biggest companies in the world. Right. I like, I plus one that I agree with that. But here's the interesting part, David, is like, I know they're going to be absolutely huge as a primitive, but I'm not sure exactly how. Right. Like I expect to be surprised just mm -hmm. like NFTs. Last year at this time, we started doing some NFT episodes before they just blew up and became absolutely massive. And um, that's what's so cool about crypto is like, you know, this stuff is going to be big, but it's, it's so emergent. You don't know when or exactly how. Um, you just know uh, that this is going to be massively impactful. So maybe something in gaming. I don't know. Like which communities haven't gotten a hold of, of these DAO primitives and technology before? Uh, we'll have to see how, how it plans out. I mean, World of Warcraft guilds feel like the original DAOs, right? right? Like people coming Raids? together from all over the internet, fighting over scarce resources, sounds like a DAO, right? So we've seen this energy before. I think when Koopa says um, DAOs are just a year behind NFTs, I think it's, I, I think I'll add that like, it really feels like DAO tooling is, 
is really the subject matter that really needs to that we are currently building right now is DAO tooling yep. is kind of where NFT tooling was uh, a, a year ago or so. And this is why like the people at Coordinate are doing fantastic work. DAOs need tools. DAOs need help. You can't just put people in a Discord and mint a token. You need tools to help facilitate how to DAO. Uh, and so I think this is we are about to embark upon the golden age of DAO tooling. And once that once that gets finished up, and once we figure out what are the tools that DAOs really need to DAO, then the the, the a thousand DAOs will flourish. Yeah, and guys, if you're listening to Bankless, you're looking for some alpha, right? I think that this is this is alpha. Yep. Remember when we were talking to the founders of uh, Nifty Gateway, mm -hmm. and they're like, "We always believed NFTs would be huge, right?" Right. And we were saying this in 2018. We we're saying it 2019. Mm -hmm. we we're saying it in 2020. And now suddenly, early 2021, right. the whole world understands it but like we've been building and saying this the entire time this is what DAOs feel like to me so if you're right. looking for opportunities in the space to plug in to work for like maybe work for a DAO earn some income maybe invest in some of this uh, underlying infrastructure or some of the DAOs themselves now is the time you're mm -hmm. still front running that opportunity but um, it's going to be big I think it's going to blow up in a big way so uh, maybe some alpha there um, we'll have to see if Jesse Walden thinks that there's going to be a DAO that becomes bigger than Facebook over the next 10 years. Like if you can find that like nine years uh, before, if you can find that one, if you can find it, like, like that's, that's your, you can retire. And, and here's the thing. Okay. So Facebook was not open mm -hmm. to investor, like to right. main street investors, wasn't open to the world, just a small set of people who uh, our credit investors in the US could invest in Facebook and realize those early gains. Like Facebook didn't IPO until like, right. uh, I don't know, 2008, 2009, something like that, right? Um, with DAOs, you have immediate access to buy into a DAO and earn some equity from day one. Massive yep. opportunity. Yep. Don't, All right. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Uh, let's drop something cool really quick and then we'll talk meme of the week. Uh, David, what are we looking at here? We're looking at a map, uh, a map of the bankless nation. Um, we're actually not looking at anything. You're gonna have to show it, Ryan. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Are we looking at it now? Uh, so this is a cool map made by a member of the Bankless DAO, Perchy. Shout out Perchy. Uh, and the, there's a link for this in the show notes if you want to go and look at it yourself. But it's just one of those maps that has something in every single corner. Uh, and, but it's overall the Bankless Nation, right? We got Bankless DAO in the top left connected to Bankless LLC. I, I think we are, I think we are a radio tower, Ryan. That kind of sounds that's kind of cool. Um, we got we got the charts for the mountain range. We have hard cap hills for Bitcoin. We got the cold storage deep in the mountain range. Got the yield farms. Got centralization harbor there's just a bunch of cool little easter eggs all over this map and so it was really just creative work uh out of out of the bankless dow out of out of perchy and i really enjoy just going around and seeing what's in here yeah it's really cool definitely it has kind of a like a lord of the rings type feel medieval mm -hmm. type feel to it too i think this the citadel the bitcoin citadel that mm -hmm. looks a little familiar maybe sauron's tower i'm uh, not sure it's yeah, bitcoin yeah, the great yeah. eye we don't have to say the quiet part you think loud. that's coincidental <laughs> okay <laughs> anyway it's uh it's a super cool drawing so make sure you check that out all right david meme of the week explain this what are we looking at this is the classic anakin and padme uh meme uh and so uh anakin has got laser eyes on in the first panel and he goes <laughs> laser eyes until a hundred thousand dollars a hundred thousand bitcoin and then padme says you're gonna take them off if there's a bear market right and then the next panel is anakin still with laser eyes just now with a mcdonald's cap on his head so no <laughs> 
you're not taking it off even though it's a bear market. <laughs> and really, this is just a meme about conviction. It's like, I'm going to go to McDonald's and work for McDonald's before I lose my conviction in Bitcoin. So that's a pretty fun meme. The McDonald's crypto memes just won't stop. They'll always be here with us when, when the bear market's on. Um, good stuff. All right. Um, I think that is it. Bankless Nation, thank you for joining us for another recap. As always, none of this was financial advice. Crypto is risky. ETH is risky. So is DeFi and Bitcoin. You could lose what you put in. But this is the frontier. We are headed west. Thanks for joining us on Bankless. Bankless.